The following episode contains material of a graphic nature and coarse language. Listener discretion is advised. Let me tell you, he goes, if anybody, he goes, I'm glad you didn't shoot him. He goes, there's a lot of people that are glad you didn't shoot him. And uh, he said, he's from a Orthodox Jewish family in Brooklyn who they're very, they're very devout. And he said he left Judaism a while, a long time ago. You don't want nothing to do with that anymore. He became the head of a satanic cult in, in the Bronx. And where Untermeyer Park is in Yonkers on the Hudson River, that's where the son of Sam used to hang out. The defendant's commission of these four murders over a 10-day period is one of the worst killing sprees in the history of this state. Skin them sometimes, uh, slit them, slit them all the way open. Uh. I'm here looking for the spirits of anybody that still remains. I have a device in my hand. If you would like to talk to it, please come forward. Tell me your story. Maybe I should have killed four or five hundred people, then I would have felt better. Then when I felt like I really offered society something. You are listening to Serial Spirits, the podcast. Welcome to another episode of Serial Spirits, the podcast. It is me, your host, Brendan Shea, and still with me in our quarantine bunker of the basement in Huntington, West Virginia, is the beautiful, the lovely. Annie Weaves, how is it, Shea Bay? Well, we're here. We're still we're here. We're still here haven't in the, the same house. spot we were last time. So yeah, We have not left the house. We've, you know, we've gone and done little tiny things, but we still, we're, we've been at home the whole time, and it's getting to where the point where I want to pull my hair out. But we are doing our part, and we're so grateful for everyone else who has done their part as well, because we know it's hard. We know that everyone is socially distanced, but... We love you. We are there with you. And that's kind of why we're doing tonight's episode. Yeah, we wanted to make this a snippet, but it ended up turning into a full-on episode. And we got two great stories that we're going to tell today. Amazing. And one is our friend Tessa Morrow. She's going to come on and she apparently has an amazing story. I haven't listened to it yet. She does. It's absolutely incredible. Tessa and I had a great discussion about Waverly Hills sanatorium. So a couple of weeks ago, we put out on our social media, we wanted people to stay connected with us, basically. And so we said, what things do we love that we wish we could see in this quarantine? Number one, our friends and family. And number two, these haunted locations that we love so much. And crime stories. And crime stories. So we asked people to write in or email us or call us and give us their creepiest paranormal stories. And we have gotten a good response so far. Thank you to everyone 
who has contacted us. And we're going to bring you a couple of those stories today. Yeah. And I'm going to be talking to Chris DeMoreas and he is a longtime unbeliever like myself. He was a fan of the Unbelievable podcast and Unbelievers podcast now, but he has an incredible story and uh, his story is both involves crime and it's involves so kind of the paranormal. It's kind of weird. Both. And he wrote us the email and I said, there's no way that I can tell this story and bring it to life like he can because he experienced it. So I just went ahead and reached out to him and said, dude, can you just come on the show and just tell the story yourself? Because I would love to hear you tell the story. It's an incredible story. I'm so excited to hear him recount it to you because it's one of those, as you read it to me, I got chills just thinking about it. So yeah, it's the perfect mix of crime and paranormal. So it's going to be a good one, guys. So stick around, listen to these stories. And if you have a story you want us to tell, please send us an email, the serial spirits at AOL.com and we'll, we'll tell it. Or you can even send an audio clip or you can reach out to us and say, Hey, I'd love to be on the show. I'd love to be on to tell you guys my story and we will get you on. Because right now, We want to hear from our friends. We love you guys. We do this for you. And we hope that you enjoy it. And if you know of a story, a story that wants to be told about a crime, a missing person, something that needs to get out there, we always encourage people to contact us. There's no boundaries as far as we go. We will cover whatever it takes to, you know, to find somebody who's missing. We'll keep it out there. It doesn't matter what it is. Serial spirits at AOL.com. Annie, let's get into your story right now with Tessa Mara because I know it's a good one. Guys, welcome back to the show, my very dear friend, the paranormal prowler, Tessa Morrow. Tessa, thank you so much for coming back on to be part of our uh, COVID creeps and curiosity show. Oh, thank you, Weaves. It's always so fun talking with you. So like I said, we wanted to reach out to some of our favorite friends and investigators to get some different paranormal stories because it makes us all happy, right? The one thing we're missing right now is, well, not just the one thing, but one thing that we're missing is paranormal investigating. And you have, so you've lived on the West Coast from the East Coast, and I feel like you've investigated everywhere in between. And you've been to some places that are close to me that I'm ashamed to say I have actually never been to as a paranormal investigator. And one of those we are going to talk about today is Waverly Hills Sanatorium. Yes. So did not disappoint. Okay. So Waverly Hills, for anybody who doesn't know, was a tuberculosis hospital. It opened originally in 1910 for 40 to 50 patients. And then the building that you see today was built in 1926 and ran through 1961. And I've read online that in the time that it functioned as a sanatorium, 63,000 people died at Waverly Hills. That's insane. I literally just got chills all over me just saying that. That It's so crazy to think about. Yeah, that's a huge number for sure. And it is heartbreaking when you just think about it. You know, like one human life is precious. And here we have several thousands who just died from this horrific disease, tuberculosis. Right. Uh, Yeah. It was just, I've always wanted to go there. Mind you, Waverly Hills has always been on my list of places to go to. And my friend David and I, when we went there, we gathered a good amount of EVPs while there. And I kind of just want to first say that I feel like I need to say this, that when we went, 
it was a huge group of people, like a huge amount. So I was immediately bummed out thinking, okay, it's going to be hard to get any sort of evidence, you know? Right. Uh, then we had the option to free roam. So they cut the huge group that we were into two groups. And one group got the top floors and the other group got floors one and two where the death tunnel is and the, you know, where they performed on the bodies and stuff. And then after three hours, we would switch floors. So we got to spend time on each floor and it was really great. And it was really spacious so much so that when we dispersed, I tell you, it was really hard to find another person. It was really rare when you actually saw another person. So I just had to say that because for the most part, it was nice and quiet and private and very little debunking was actually needed. (laughs) I did the same thing with a tour at Trans-Allegheny Asylum in Weston, West Virginia. You go into this these buildings are huge and you can almost kind of wander off and get lost by yourself. That's what we did at trans. I would love the opportunity to do that at Waverly Hills if anybody's listening. But so tell us, you pull up to this place and the building is absolutely huge. What's your first impression of this place? (sighs) Well, that's an interesting question actually, because four months earlier I was driving through there and I had, looked up the hours, not thinking like certain hours for tours and stuff. And they said they were open. And so I see it was during the day when I went for the first time, but they were closed. And the only thing I ran into was a turkey. (laughs) It It is Kentucky, remember. (laughs) Not very paranormal, but you know, it was kind of neat. But just seeing that building, it was amazing seeing it just in person. Like you're not seeing it on a documentary or on a TV screen. You're actually seeing it. And so it was awesome. I I could not wait to get in there. So then I befriended uh, my friend David, who I had met in Colorado. He's a firefighter out there in Louisville. And he said, next time you're coming through, let me know and we'll get you in there. And three or four months later, that's exactly what happened. So it was cool kind of seeing it in the daytime um, in all its glory. And then at nighttime too, seeing it. And it was really cool. But the only thing at nighttime, we were needing to get in there. And so like, I didn't get to see like the gargoyles that are outside and stuff on the side there. There were a lot of things that I actually missed but I definitely plan to go back. Maybe me and you and Shay could oh go. God. I would together. love absolutely. I think Tina Mattingly still owns the place. She's owned it for a number of years and, and they were the ones who kind of brought it back to the world, like opened it to the world for paranormal investigating. So hint, hint, yeah. anybody listening, we'd love to come through. Um, so you get in there, this place is absolutely enormous. Did you know a lot about the history or did you kind of go in blindly just to, did they show you any of the hot spots or did you want to fill it out for yourself? Um, well, they did show us the hot spots. So there were, uh, two groups of us and what happened was they would do kind of like a little historical tour for about 20 minutes. And then we had like two and a half hours to kind of explore and roam and investigate and so th- I did know the history, like, you know, from tuberculosis and the surgeries performed, like the removal of the ribs and uh, doing the cast cabins and the lungs and stuff and co- the collapsing of the lungs. And so I knew a lot of that kind of history, but it was uh, interesting. I did learn a bit more, like how there's a spirit of a dog there that has been seen. Oh, wow. 
And um, there was a man, an elderly man, who I think was homeless, and he had a dog there. And they would, like, security would know they were there, but they weren't doing anything wrong. So they kind of, you know, let them slide through. And um, apparently they hadn't been seen in a while. And they think that they ended up being located, their bodies, in the one of the elevator shafts. They were murdered. What? And- yeah and so it's kind of things like that that you don't really know that's awful yeah oh yeah it was heartbreaking it was horrible to hear and i've actually talked with people that have had encounters with the dog spirit there and so there's just uh there's more to it than just the spirits and the um dogs and uh dancing with bats (laughs) yeah like bats if you go because you'll you'll get a few close encounters with them they don't know anything about personal space (laughs) yeah they're all up in your business so yeah, you go in there, you start investigating. What's your favorite piece of equipment that you take in there with you? Well, okay. So I'm glad you asked. And I'm going to say this because, first of all, the digital recorder is always my favorite thing to use. It captures everything, you know, it Absolutely. captures the emotions, the sounds, the EVPs, and, you know, just the sequence of events that are happening. But I must say for the people, including you, because I know you want to go there sometime, if you go, you, they'll send you an email basically saying the do's and don'ts, what you can't bring, what you can bring. And so it was very minimal. They basically said no. Basically, they said you could bring your phone and a flashlight. And I was like, I'm I'm staying for six hours and I can't bring a piece of equipment. So the investigator and me, obviously, I was like, okay, I'll leave the ovulus. I'll leave, you know, I'll leave everything else at home, I guess. But your arsenal, yeah, right. I'm I'm bringing that thing like it's an extra limb, you know. And so. I ended up going there and they, they asked like, you know, who here are paranormal investigators and, you know, a sea of hands go up. Okay. Well, how many of you brought equipment? And and again, more hands go up and I kind of, I'm sitting in the front and I say, excuse me, I, an email that I got, it said I couldn't bring anything. And she's like, oh, that's for the two hour tour. So six hour tours, mind you, two of them. I paid and my friend and so I was like so I always tell people if you're gonna go and if you're doing the six hour tour bring your tools bring your equipment it's okay absolutely right yeah don't yeah never leave home without it I at one point when I was paranormal investigating hardcore I traveled everywhere with my bag of equipment because I felt like you never knew when something was gonna happen legit it stayed in my trunk for years right Yeah, that's how I am too. I always have my stuff with me no matter what. And I did. I had that stuff with me too in Louisville. And then when I saw that email, I was like, there's no way that I want to get something taken away or confiscated or have to sit in the car all night while I'm, you know, investigating. Right. So I left it at my friend's house in Louisville. I mean, you know, that night, but it was, uh, it was really interesting, you know, um, just being there at Waverly, you know, when you're standing there and no one's around, but you feel something there, like an energy that's not your own, like you can feel the presence behind you or around you or surrounding you. And that happened uh, a lot at Waverly Hills. So and were you able to record with anything? Did you record with your phone or because I know you said you got EVPs? Well, yeah, I had my digital recorder with me because okay, I figured good. that's not going to search us, you know, and it's right. tiny enough. And so I did have that with me and I did several sessions with that. Basically, the whole time we were there, I was recording. So right. 
ton of sessions. So we did get everything we got was EVPs, you know, and it was really interesting. Um, what areas in the building did you find to be the most active or that you got the best EVPs? We were all over that place. We were all on all floors. I really liked the death tunnel. And mind you, my I had just had my attachment, so I was still kind of dealing with that. And they even said, like, you know, if you have asthma, if you have COPD, if you have any respiratory issues or are not healthy, don't go down to the tunnel. We won't pick you up and bring you back up. Explain and, the tunnel to people real quickly if you've never heard of the death tunnel at Waverly. Yeah, it's uh, the body chute, also known as the death tunnel. And that's where the bodies would come and go. Uh, first, it was just because, like, people, the employees that had to park, they had to park quite a distance away from the hospital. And so then they would have to make that long trek to the hospital, to the sanatorium. And so originally they did the tunnel for people, for the, you know, delivery services and the people to go back and forth. And then so many people were dying that they kind of had a good system where they didn't want the people who had tuberculosis who were there, who were still alive to see all the bodies going through. Right. So they would um, put them in through the elevator and straight down to the, uh, you know, where they would be like autopsied and performed. And then they would go into the death tunnel. And um, there's even like a ramp. So there's stairs going, you know, there's stairs there, but then also there's like a body ramp where it was really interesting and it's super like the further you go down it just gets kind of damper and a little wetter and um i was talking to my friend one time sean todd he's with black swamp paranormal and he said that one time he was there and he actually stepped on something and it shrilled and it it was an opossum oh my and god <laughs> yeah right so not paranormal but still something to get your heart going yeah <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I had so much happen, Weebs. Like, I had my hair pulled. Oh, my God. Um, a few hours into the investigation, I suddenly get really kind of uneasy. Like, it comes from nowhere. You know how you're feeling okay, and all of a sudden something hits you, and you're like, yes. okay, something's not right. So I start to walk really fast, and I just need to say that my friend David kept going off. Like, he would leave me in the dark, which I'm okay with, but, like, at least say, <laughs> hey, I'm going to be right back, because I would all of a sudden be talking, and no one's there. Yeah. And, and I'm so, the worst in doing that when investigating, by the way, if we ever get to go to a place together, which we have to, um, I'm the world's worst for just wandering off by myself, so you kind of have to put a beeper on me. <laughs> FYI. You know, like how, like, uh, when you take your kid to Disneyland or something, you have to put the leash on them? I'm going to have to put I need a, leash a leash on you, girl. I need a leash. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> so you just tell me what color you like, and I'll get the leash for you, okay? <laughs> um, so anyways, I start to feel really uneasy, and I start to walk really fast to catch up to my friend, because for the 20th time that night, he's disappeared. And all of a sudden, that walking turns into running, and I can't explain it. Like, something or someone was chasing me. And so, mind you, I'm recording this whole event, and I catch up to David, and I tell him, oh, David, this is so creepy. It sounded like something was chasing me. And my recorder picks up a voice of an e uh, EVP of a man saying, gonna get you. Stop it. No, I'm serious. It was, it was like, gonna get you. Wow. And of course, you know, I'm not hearing this at the moment, but I'm feeling it. And right. I continue to tell David that someone was behind me and that I could hear the footsteps clear as day coming up quickly behind me. But I tell him, David, when I turned around, nobody was there. Well, okay, my recorder picks up yet the same man saying, 
oh, yes, I was. Wow. It was the same voice. Like, I mean, it was the same voice. So going to get you and then, oh, yes, I was. So it was really kind of eerie. And uh, so while I was uh, chased and touched and literally danced with bats, I must say that the most eerie thing, hands down, that took place at Waverly Hill Sanatorium was when David called out to me from one of the rooms and excitement clearly in his voice as he says to me, turn off that flashlight. I'm seeing the craziest thing I've ever seen. So, I mean, if that doesn't catch one's attention, I don't know what would, you know, he's a firefighter. Right. right. So he's seen a bunch of stuff, you know, so I quickly find him and he points to the sky at two very distinct hovering lights. So, yeah. So, I mean, like how far up in the sky are we talking UFO activity or we're talking something like floating toward the ceiling sky? Oh, okay. So yeah, he was looking out a window and so uh, it was definitely an unidentified flying object activity. And it, it was like kind of in the distance, not super far where you needed binoculars. Like you totally see it clear without having a camera or anything, but yeah, it was close enough where, you know, it was freaky. And I told, I've shared my fear with you and Shay in the past about aliens and UFOs. It's like, um, no thanks. Yes. Yeah. We've talked about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ghost any day, aliens, no. So anyways, this was all recorded and I'm kind of going through my notes on what happened that night. So David explains what he saw before I walked in the room. And he says to me, you know, here these two things are, they're moving towards each other. And now they just kind of stopped. And now they're sitting there, one moved up and down, and now they're just kind of hovering there. And so here we are, granted, at one of the most haunted locations in the United States, just standing there for what seems like a lifetime, just staring at these unidentified flying objects. And David's been in Kentucky forever. He's familiar with the goings on there. And like I said, he's a firefighter. He's seen it all. He's been through it all. He comes from a line of witches. He's a witch himself. Like, you know, and so he's perplexed, though. This man who's been through it all, he's perplexed. He's speaking about these things almost to himself, but out loud. You know, he's like, they're not stars. They they aren't any type of aircraft, like a jet or a plane or a helicopter, just what exactly are these things? So uh, clearly we're both baffled at this point. And suddenly they start to fade and we both gasp. We're like totally freaked out, both of us. And I noticed that one of them is lowering just ever so little. And then it moves side to side for a moment. And I kid you not, this is weird where it gets weird, but it almost looks like a beak comes from underneath it and a light appears. And you've seen it in movies. Like I'm 100% full on expecting to see a cow or something being lifted into the sky. What? <laughs> that is crazy. It was so scary. I was like, we, I was terrified. I mean, I don't know how to explain it, Weebs. I mean, it was not a star or a planet or an aircraft that we are familiar with. I've, I've seen so many uh, aircraft in my day. Like in DC, I saw Marine One. In Cap Lejeune, I've seen V-22 Ospreys, uh, Sikorskis, and the Valve, so, uh, uh, this Valve Super Cobras. I mean, I've never seen anything like this. And there were two of them. And 
the beak finally disappears and suddenly both of them end up having these little beaks on them. And it was just random and bizarre behavior. And then get this, fast forward a couple years later, um, I'm watching a paranormal show and a story comes on about two pilots in Louisville, Kentucky. And they talk about how while they were up in the sky, they see these two unknown crafts. And they described what we saw. Their encounter was far worse, though, because they were chased. But, I mean, this was decades earlier, I think, like, in the 70s or something. But you could see the fear in their faces as they were reliving the moments. And it was really, really scary. That is absolutely insane. And you see a lot of these, you know, some of these shows are coming out right now, like Hellier, that are talking about the weirdness in Kentucky. And they talk a lot about UFOs. We um, we interviewed a guy who was interviewed on Hellier. They're coming out with their own podcast. And he was actually in a part of Kentucky like 10 minutes from where I grew up. And he talked about his UFO encounter there. So it's a known hotspot now for these kind of things coming out. And it's crazy that you go there to look for ghosts and you have some type of weird UFO encounter that's corroborated by hundreds, if not thousands of other people in Kentucky who have seen very similar things. That's crazy. Yeah, no, I agree. That is absolutely crazy. And mind you, when I went, I did not have UFOs on my mind. Like I didn't really, I wasn't really familiar with all that activity that's there. I was like, you know, looking forward to Waverly and stuff, but. Oh, hell no. Who would? You go there looking for ghosts at a sanatorium. You don't expect UFOs. (laughs) I know. That was like the eeriest thing that happened. You know, it was just, but you know, it was so crazy, Weebs, because when we were there um, at the, at Waverly, we had so many EVPs come through from mostly male energy. It was like a lot of males. Like I had a few females here and there, but a lot of males, but I had so many EVP warnings, like get out, not like threatening, like get the heck out of here, but like warning, like don't let what happened to me happen to you hit the bricks while you still can. And so some of the EVPs that I had gotten were like full sentences, like get out of here, uh, one of my favorites was get out while you can, Wow. uh, go home, uh, don't go in there. And, uh, a few more like that were a little more on the obscene side, but it was really interesting. Um, it's always bizarre when you get things like that and you could just tell in their voices, they weren't threatening matter. They're just kind of like, this isn't a good place. This is not a safe place. Well, well and you have there. to wonder too, once Waverly Hills closed as a tuberculosis hospital in the 60s then they reopened later as a nursing home and so it's almost like you can't differentiate are these people telling you to get out of here because they don't want you to catch this terrible disease or could these have been older spirits that were there that were so unhappy that they had been placed in this facility that they're just like get out of here you don't want to be here right And that's what I really felt, you know, that they were just like, go home. (laughs) You're better off there. You know, when you're right, like when you have a sanatorium in the same building where it's like, then it's turned into like the old folks. It's like, okay, so it's seen a lot more death than a lot of people know, you know, more than they expect. And it was interesting because 
after we left Waverly, we were in the car driving back to David's house, which is about 15 minutes away from the sanatorium. And we're both like dead silent. Now with me, after coming from an investigation, I'm on cloud nine. I'm right. I'm usually super stoked and like, what did we get? You know, all the evidence because things happened that we knew without having to listen to the evidence. And so, but we're quiet and my mind is racing and it's full of negative and hateful thoughts. And usually I'm not like that. And so after several silent minutes, I finally speak to David and I'm like, you know what? I'm so mad right now. Like, I don't care about anything. We can wreck the car and I would not have a care in the world. And it was really unlike me to say something like that. And he's quiet for a moment. And then he pulls over the car and looks at me and he's like, you must be kidding me. I feel the exact same way. Wow. Yeah, it was really eerie, Weebs. And so we didn't erect that night, thankfully. Um, did something attach to us? I don't know. But we had just spent several hours at a place where thousands have died. So it's possible. Uh, we had several encounters and tons of EVPs. Did we also get an attachment? But whatever it was, thankfully, it didn't last very long. And we were both back to our normal selves the following day. But yeah, it was a, a really interesting place for sure. That's amazing. So when you went home, no crazy dreams, nothing happened afterwards, because I've had that happen before. You go to a place that affects you so deeply. You know, I've gone to places where I've had dreams about it afterwards, or you just get that kind of heavy feeling afterwards for a few days that it, it takes a while to shake that off anything like that after you left honestly no um not with waverly i've, I've had that happen before uh what you were talking about but not with this incident but then again i really wasn't myself for like almost a month or two because i had an attachment and at that time i still had that attachment and so i was really off anyways but no just that really quick kind of like I don't care what happens kind of thing um right after the investigation and um it was interesting though because a lot of people were not happy we there were so many people and they're like okay we're gonna you know have everybody go home at like I think it was like six in the morning and so they all kind of have us go down the stairs both groups and it is hot and Kentucky and Waverly it was like wetness in the air was that hot, you know? Right. And so we're all standing there and it was, I don't know if they were just double checking to make sure nobody was hiding, but it took almost an hour and a half to open the doors for us. Like we just wanted to get in our cars, you know? Um, oh yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe that had something to do with the energy too. Cause there were a lot of angry people there just kind of cursing under their breaths and stuff. But um, besides that, though, it was a really neat place. Waverly surely didn't disappoint. I actually dedicated a chapter to it, Waverly in my book, uh, where it kind of details like the whole investigation. But yeah, from the, you know, gonna get you EVP to being chased to just so many other things, it definitely did not disappoint. So for any investigators who want to go to Waverly, what kind of tips would you have for them? Where should they go? Uh, what should they ask? Maybe questions that you got better responses to EVPs to. Did you have any of that going on? Um, well, you know, at one point, so the um, where they kept the bodies. So I haven't watched Ghost Adventures in years, but in the Ghost Adventures, when they put Nick Graf, 
you know, where the bodies were stored and he was there for a while and he almost had like kind of a breakdown, you know, where he's like, I don't want to be here anymore. I feel claustrophobic. And um, it was neat just being in there. Um, That whole area where they did like the lobotomies and just different things like that was phenomenal. Um, the death tunnel. So I don't care if you guys have asthma or not. Do it. <laughs> I mean, seriously, take a hit of your inhaler. Don't listen okay. to your doctors. Get in that tunnel. <laughs> no, but you know, it's like take it easy, obviously. Like me, I took my time. My friend, the firefighter here, he was he went down there like, you know, he was running a marathon. And I was like, I actually kind of want to like not only because I have to take it slow because of my, you know, lungs, but also just because I want to take it slow. I've never been here before. I want to take it all in. I don't want to be in and out of here in two minutes, you know? And so I did. I took my time and I walked down there and I had to stop a couple times and I made it all the way down there. And uh, then I came back up and it was great. It was. and, And at that time, there was nobody down there. Now, I know that a lot of people had gone before us. So that's why we kind of waited till kind of closer to the middle or even end and it was awesome it was great but at one point my friend he was in one of the sun patio rooms and that's where a lot of the majority of the time those clients those um people spent their time there you know because they were thinking like the the fresh air would help and whatnot and so he uh he was there and he was asking several questions so at one point my friend David is having a conversation. He's having an EVP session with a spirit and I'm in the other room doing something and ask him something kind of breaking up this whole EVP session. But when I listened to the audio later, it was really interesting. So this is, this is the session. Okay. And David says, and I'm going to do voices. So you know, who's who. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Are there any spirits here with us? Yes. Does that sound seductive? Me? <laughs> it was a, that was a little nine hundred number. If you could go a little more ghost than that, it would be perfect. <laughs> oh my god! Okay, okay. I'm totally leaving that in the podcast too. <laughs> oh my god, that's so funny. Okay, <laughs> but it's perfect. Continue. Okay, are there any spirits here with us? My name is David. This is Tessa, and we're not going to hurt you. We just want to talk, see what you're all up to. Why are you here right now? How long have you been here? I know there's somebody here with us. No. We just want to see what's going on. Hey. Did you die here? Yes. Do you have any friends here? No. What month did you die? What year? Help. You don't want to know. Were one of these your room? No. Do you remember what room you died in? No. No. Were you scared? Yes. So that was it. And it was interesting because that's, uh, let's see here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Nine, ten questions and ten answers. You got very intelligent answers to those questions, too. It's not like you're hearing anything that could be any type of, you know, a residual haunt. You're getting clear answers to the question. April? He died in April? That's crazy. So they're absolutely responding 
to what you're saying there. And that's amazing. That's an incredible EVP session. Right. And that's the bummer when it comes to the EVPs though, because you don't hear it right away. You know, sometimes you do, but for the most part, you hear it afterwards. And so I felt so, I was mad at myself that I interrupted this whole full on conversation, but it was phenomenal. And it it was great just uh, getting that. And we asked like, you know, several questions, like what's your name? And we got several, several um, answers. We had one man say Seth. And again, this isn't through the spirit box or anything. This was seriously just all EVPs. And it was a, it was definitely quite the adventure for sure. That six hours went by a little too quickly. So on a scale of one to 10, how haunted do you think Waverly Hills Sanatorium is? You know, I would, I would say 10, but since they didn't let me bring all my equipment, I'm probably going to say maybe a nine, but it, it deserves a 10, but I'm saying nine, but I want to go back sometime with all my equipment. But even with just the digital recorder, we got so much and I wasn't the only one that was touched. My friend David was touched too. Do you feel like it was just someone reaching out trying to get your attention, trying to help you. Like you said, you got these EVPs that say, get out. I think so many times we go into these places and when things happen like that, when you're touched or when you have these encounters that are so physical, your automatic reaction is, oh my God, that's bad. But sometimes you got to step back and say, you got to remember the people that were here. Do you think they were just trying to help you and guide you and get your attention in some way? Yeah, I think so. I, I didn't feel any type of negativity. I mean, besides besides being chased and they're going to get right. you. But I mean, even that wasn't like, you know, like threatening, like I'm going to hurt you or something. But yeah, for the most part, I really did feel just like they really were super legit, not wanting me or anybody else to have the same fate that they had, you know? These days, you know, tuberculosis still happens and it still kills a lot of people. But back then it was just like almost like a death sentence. But, you know, there was one thing that I did learn there and it was kind of like a heartwarming story where these two sisters, they both contracted TB. And so they spent time there. Well, one of them ended up getting better. She, they, they, cured her. And so she went home. Well, she found out that her sister was still there and that she was getting worse. And so even though she knew it was possible, she could still, she could, you know, contract this horrendous disease again. She went back to stay with her sister to spend time with her. She caught it again. And for the second time, so her sister ended up dying, but she ended up surviving and she she lived to be a very old lady. I mean, she died the year that I think it was like the year before that I had gone out there. Wow. And that was in 2016. So she died in like 2015. So she like lived to survive this. But I just thought it was so sweet that she wanted to be with her sister. She didn't want her sister to be alone. I read that somewhere else when I was doing some research about Averly, they actually had visit visiting days. And so you could go in and see your loved ones, even though you knew they were so sick and there was a chance that you could get sick. And they went even though, because yeah. Waverly is absolutely completely secluded. When it functioned as a TB hospital, it was its own city in its own right. Like it, it had its own postal service, its own water system. You could be completely 
secluded up there. And, you know, right now in modern day, we're feeling some seclusion. But think about that times 10 in this place where you had no contact with the outside world, how that affects you physically and mentally, you really can't even compare it. And so I guess in those circumstances, it probably is understandable that some of these family members would go in there because they wouldn't care. They just wanted to see their loved ones. Absolutely. And it's like you said times 10, but I really think like probably like times a hundred, you know, yeah. like I just can't even imagine. And it just makes you grateful for what you have. Um, But yeah, and it was just, it was interesting being there and learning just exactly what they would do to try to heal the person, you know, and you, you hear about these things and you're just like, God, that's cruel. That's like torture, but they were practicing medicine. They didn't know, you know, I mean, this was this horrendous disease that was killing people left and right. And they were desperate. They were just trying to, to do different things. So I know um, thorax is where they would, build in a little cast cabin, put the air in and collapse the lung, like literally collapsing your lung because they thought the rest of the lung would try to heal itself. And it was kind of successful uh, because it thrived on oxygen, you know? And sometimes I feel like, "Ah, I can't get a deep breath in for like 20 minutes. Do I have TB? Because I sure I'm lacking oxygen. Right. (laughs) Well, and it makes you think about you know, there's a reason it's called the practice of medicine. And they had no idea until the antibiotic was created that killed tuberculosis and ended up shutting down all of these sanatoriums. They had no idea how to treat it. And you're kind of seeing that right now with COVID-19. It's scary. They're trying to find this vaccination, but we are in the practice of medicine right now. Right. Yeah. And, this, the, you know, I mean, We've gone through this before, like, you know, Spanish flu, the bubonic plague, the yellow fever. And it's just like, it's times are hard right now, but they will get better. And it's sad because we are going to lose people. Um, Hopefully nobody we know or, you know, but I mean, every life is precious, you know, and, but things will get back to normal eventually. But and when uh, they do, you and I are going to Waverly Hills Sanatorium because oh, I think that's yeah. what we need to do to kick all this. That's going to be like our present to ourselves. Once all this is over, we're going to Waverly Hills to ghost hunt. Oh, girl, I am so down with that. You, yeah, I would love that for <laughs> sure. I don't think they'll know what to do with us. <laughs> Probably not. Not together. When they, sh- when we show up and I'm on a leash and you're like, she's with me, it's going to be weird from the get go. So just tell them to mind their own business. <laughs> I can so picture you with, on the leash too, by the way. <laughs> You know, we were talking about like a while back when we were talking about the scene on um, Happy Gilmore when Steve has the lipstick and he's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> he's like, marking people off his list and rubbing the lipstick all over his face. Yes. Like, God, I'm glad I called that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm totally going to do up a video of that. Be obnoxiously putting on this horrendous like <laughs> colored lipstick and just like. <laughs> You know, marking off the names and <laughs> yes, marking people off of our list one by one. <laughs> so, Tessa, tell everybody about your podcast when and where they can find it. 
Yeah, my podcast, Paranormal Prowlers podcast, one year anniversary just popped up April 9th. And congratulations. That's a big deal for a podcaster. Thanks. Yeah, you know, it's very exciting. It's uh it's been awesome, you know, coming from the radio world, it's refreshing because I get to know where the people are coming from, where they're listening from, you know. And so as to date in the one year, I've had 35 countries listen and every state <clears throat> with the exception of Rhode Island has <laughs> so, All you those know, in Rhode Island, please pay attention until, right now. <laughs> until I get a listener from Rhode Island, they are on my list. And if you want to be marked <laughs> off with lipstick, <laughs> you better listen. Exactly right. <laughs> but, but yeah, my podcast, it has everything to do with the paranormal and the unknown, the bizarre, everything spooky. I uh, will have different episodes where, you know, it's just me talking about certain things, certain subjects like, you know, the Mothman, which you and Shay were both on, or the Jersey Devil, different things like that. But um, with this quarantine happening, I tell you, I have a lot of people lined up to be guests. And so I'm really excited about that. But yeah, new episodes come out Monday, 9 a.m. And you could find Paranormal's paranormals paranormal prowlers podcast <laughs> basically anywhere uh spotify deezer cast box apple you know podcast basically wherever podcasts are you could find it and i have about 55 up right now 55 episodes but yeah it's it's been a good adventure for sure that's awesome i'm so glad that you've done so well because you are literally one of the best people that i've ever met in the paranormal and so we're Gosh, always glad blushing. <laughs> no stop we're always glad to have you on you're welcome anytime we've got to get you on again to talk about your attachment because that Anytime. interests me a lot. Absolutely. Anytime. Yeah. My attachment comes with a lot of history and a lot of backstory and stuff. So yeah, anytime I'm always willing to share it. And tell us where we can find your book that you just read that excerpt from. <sighs> yeah, the book, Paranormal Prowlers, I'm Always With You. Um, you can find that basically on Amazon or Barnes & Noble, but Really, I suggest that anybody who wants to get it, get it from me. You could email me at paranormal.prowlers.podcast at gmail.com. When you get it through me, you get a signed copy. I usually write like, a, you know, not just as, like an autograph, but I'll like write a note in it for you. And I make my own cards. So I throw in a card as well. And then I make my bookmarks. And so I throw in a bookmark too, and it's really, really, really corny. And since we're on video, I'm going to show you, but um, I have a little headstone on the bottom and it says read in peace. So it's still, Stop it. I know, I know I'm a corny goof. I can't, I can't get I enough. I love it though. I love it. You make the best cards. I can say <laughs> as one of your pen pals, you totally show me up every time we exchange cards, 100%. Oh my God. No, I love it. And you know, I've been really slacking this year with the card writing, but that's one of my things I'm quarantined. I'm going to 
get back into it, jump back on that saddle because I, I need to do it. But yeah. So anyways, yeah, the book, if you want it, please let me know, go through me and you'll get all the works with it and stuff. So yeah. And I made it easy. It's just straight up $20 and that's with shipping and everything. When I'm a, I think on Amazon it's $17, but yeah. So email Tessa, get it that way because her card and her bookmark is totally worth what you get. Absolutely. Paranormal.prowlers.podcast.gmail.com. And for the people who are um, Amazon Prime, you can actually read the ebook for free, but you don't get an autograph with that. Mm-mm. No, it's lame. I d- yeah, no. <laughs> spring, spring for the extras with this one. You won't regret it. <laughs> Oh, and I have to say that when you guys, if you do listen to my podcast, we're, um, ever since Weeb's little baby was born, you could hear her howling at the, you know, at the end of the episode. Yes, you can. Rory made her very first podcast appearance uh, with Tessa. And yeah, it's just my baby crying. I promise I wasn't doing anything bad to her. She was just hungry or needed a nap. Go. Were you traumatized as a child by watching Unsolved Mysteries? Do you like to judge facial hair? (laughs) Guess what? We have a podcast for you. Can you believe it? It's called Perhaps It's You. And it is an unofficial Unsolved Mysteries rewatch podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Samantha. I'm Liz. We're two cool mystery ants, not really, (laughs) watch an episode of Unsolved Mysteries each week and tell you about it. We update you if any of the mysteries have been solved. We rate the episode on a scale of Robert Stacks. We can give episodes a possible five out of five Robert Stacks, although it rarely happens. Very rarely. We also complain about what everyone is wearing, and it doesn't really matter if you know anything about Unsolved Mysteries or not. You should tune in because it's the number one podcast on iTunes. Yeah, you can find us on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, most podcast platforms. You can also check out our website, perhapsitsyou.com, or find us on the social medias at Perhaps It's You. Yep. And get out there and solve some mysteries, bitches. Yeah. <laughs> so, Annie, guess what? What? Jay? I just got off the phone with Mike Diamond. You know, Mike Deli Meats. Deli Meats. Yeah, and he just told me that we have a Patreon set up. We do have a Patreon. 100%. Hot diggity dog. And we are so excited to be part of this Patreon with ParanormalWarehouse.com because guess what? You can get our podcast exclusively a week early before everybody else gets to hear it. And that's pretty sweet. Not just can you get Serial Spirits a week early, you can get all the shows that Paranormal Warehouse has to offer, plus all kinds of Paranormal Warehouse merch that is not available to the public. Patreon.com forward slash Paranormal Warehouse. Guys, this is where it's at. Live out your best quarantine days watching Paranormal Warehouse. You won't regret it. Alex King from the American Ghost Hunter Show, he just got a sweet Serial Spirits tank top. And let me tell you what, his nipples do hang out of them. His nipples have never looked better. So become a patron today. Go to patreon.com forward slash paranormal warehouse. Get our show a week early with some other cool stuff. You are listening to Serial Spirits, the podcast. (laughs) 
I don't know. That story that Tessa told is pretty cool. I mean, you oh know, we're gosh. all in so, the high strangeness, and this is just, it's weird. You talk about, you go to a place like Waverly Hill Sanatorium, which is one of the most notoriously haunted places, not just in the U.S., but in the entire world, and she has this freaking UFO encounter. Like, how strange is that? That's pretty nuts. I've been there three times, and uh, I've had some pretty... Incredible counters there myself, but never a UFO story. So right now we're going to jump into the story with Chris De Marais, and this is a good one, guys. All right, so with me right now is Chris De Marais. He is a longtime unbeliever, and if you guys listen to this show long enough, you know what an unbeliever is because we've talked about it several times. But he sent an email when we wanted to talk about the stuff that we wanted people to talk about, tell us crazy stories, and he said a zinger. This one was great, and there was no way that I could read this and not, you know, cast the emotion that's invested in it. And I, that's why I wanted to bring him on. So, Chris, you're here. You're going to tell us this story. It's a crazy story. How are you doing today? All right. How you doing, Brian? Um, <laughs> we're staying safe, staying healthy. Are you guys uh, nice and quarantined there? Where are you at? Are you in New York? Are you in uh, somewhere else? Yes. Yeah, so no. When I when I uh, when I retired, I. Well, I knew I was retiring, and um, I put my house for sale. I, I got custody of my kids, uh, put my house up for sale in New York. I was right outside of New York City, so I wanted to get out of there. Uh, and I found a place down in Fairplay, South Carolina. It's, it's super rural. I'm actually about two miles from the Georgia border. Um, I have five acres of property, a nice house. Uh, nice. And, and, yeah, I moved my kids down here, and it was the best thing I could have done for them, the school system systems are wonderful and they have you know it's fresh air and it's outside and you know so uh yeah so i've been down here for 13 years now and uh, i i love it i wouldn't i wouldn't change it but i, I have so much privacy and um i, I don't think the virus is going to reach me here so i'm not too much well, to worry about so. similar we had a similar <laughs> circumstance with my family my parents i was born in staten island new york both of my parents are long-time okay. staten islanders and they decided, hey, let's move to Ohio. So we moved to rural middle America, Ohio. And it was probably the best thing they could have did. Like we had a great childhood, you know, so the best thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I agree. Especially getting out of the city area. And it became a big expense. So, oh, yeah. uh, and, and uh, you know, there were other things associated with it. And I just thought it was, I just thought it was the best, especially raising my kids on my own. I needed to be assured that once they were left in my house. I, I was sure that they were going to be safe and not, you know, that got that kind of stuff. So. Yeah. I totally feel you. Anyway, so yeah. you, you know, you did, uh, you, you were on the force how many years? So I did, I, I was on for 20 and, um, uh, I got on in the late 1980s, 1988. And, um, I was in my early twenties and, I worked for about I worked for about a year before I went to the police academy because they were they were short. It was the town of Greenberg. They were short manpower. It's right outside of New York City, and so the the the, the, the department I worked for, you know, they, they needed people. So I worked for a while, um, and you know, you just you did what you you know you, you just kind of learned the street stuff and how to get by. And you know, the the most important thing is you just wanted to you wanted to make sure you went home. You know, that's that's the most important thing. Well, above and beyond everything else, and so uh, I went to the police academy in the beginning of 1989, they sent me. And it was, I think it was 18 weeks at the time. 
And, you know, you pretty much, you, every, you can throw everything out except for the laws. You're in the penal law, the vehicle and traffic law, all that stuff that you learn. Is, it's, you know, you need to know that's important. There are other things, but, but you get back to work then and, and you just rely on your instincts and, you know, whatever you learn from the streets and you come, most guys aren't cops before they're cops, obviously. So there are things you know. So you sent us a zinger of a story, and I just want to get... Yeah, it was... I, I, as a matter of fact, about two weeks ago, two weeks prior to, 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 to seeing your message, uh, my youngest daughter had come by, and we, we were talking about... I don't remember what the subject matter was, but we were talking about some things. I think it was... I had told somebody a story and, uh, about something unassoci- unassociated with with that it was I was a cop though and the, and and the woman I was talking to said well you you have a lot of weird stories a lot of messed up stories and so I I told my daughter that when I said you know I said there was a there was, I remember a call when I got I had worked uh for about a year went to went to the police academy got out uh I was on for I don't know maybe maybe five or six months and I was working a midnight shift and we were so low manpower a lot of times we were work we'd work by ourselves on the road uh, alone and no backup, no other police officers in the area. Uh, sometimes there were guys from other departments that were on, on the same radio frequency and you, you could either catch one of them to give you help or you'd radio back to your precinct and you'd say, Hey, I, I need some help. Or, and hopefully, you know, somebody would come. Otherwise you would just have to do whatever it is you needed to do on your own. And I started to carry two and three pairs of handcuffs because, because of that, because, you know, it was just it, it got to a point where it was it was it was it was getting more difficult. So I was working at midnight and I was around maybe two in the morning, I guess. And we had hotels and motels that the the county of Westchester had made a deal with New York City and some of the other cities in that area, Mount Vernon and, and Nurshell and everything that they were going to take. There's some people that were on Section 8. They, I guess they had ran out of Section 8 housing and they. They wanted to give people housing. So what they did was they looked for communities and areas that had a lot of hotels and motels. And they entered into contracts with the owners of these properties that they could put these uh, the people that were on Section 8 in in these facilities. And, and we got a lot. We At one point, I think we had over, over 1,500 uh, people that were living in these facilities. But it, it, it not only, you know, it brought a lot of crime, it brought a lot of we had the burgeoning crack problem. So everybody was selling crack. A lot of people were smoking it. People in the community started smoking. We got prostitution problems out of it. It was, it was a nightmare. Uh, and so it wasn't uncommon to keep going back and forth to these motels and hotels any time during the day. And so I got a call. Uh, there was a, a, a small, one of the small motels. I think it probably had about 300 people in it. It was, it was called the Parkway. And uh, they, the, the dispatch said, uh, respond to the Parkway Motel. There's a, there's a man at room 109, and he's kicking the door. And the, the occupant says that he has a baseball bat, and he's, and he's threatening him. So uh, yeah, I it's not, that's, not a, that's not a big deal, you know. And so I pull around the corner. I go down t- to the street, and I pull into the parking lot of the Parkway Motel. Usually, usually there weren't too many cars. A lot, a lot of, a lot of people that were on Section Eight at that time in those, those facilities didn't really drive, so the, the parking lot was relatively em- empty. Uh, when I pulled in, I could see the room to the to the right of me, and I saw this this guy outside the room, and he was a, he was a tall, thin, you know, white guy, long blonde hair, probably down well below 
his mid back and he's kicking at this door. And I could see as I'm pulling in that he had a sword in one hand, like a samurai sword and a, and a huge like 16 inch buck knife in the other hand. And I pull in sideways, my patrol car I was probably around 30. Have you ever seen anything like that before? Like a, a guy with a samurai sword. So I, I had seen people carrying them around for, for various reasons. Some people just, you know, they, they would carry them around to, to draw attention. But, but, but I never saw anybody threatening another person with one. And that's, that's exactly what this guy was doing. I mean, he, he was pissed and he was threatening the guy in the room. And when I, when I pulled in, I could hear him screaming at the guy, you effing N-word. And he's screaming, I'm going to cut you. I'm going to cut you. I'm going to slit your throat. And, and, and I was about 30 feet from him and, and I drew down on him and I yelled at him, get away from the door. So he looked at me and I, I said, get away from the door. And he backed up, but he still had the, the two sharps raised in his hands. And he, he turned around and he, and he took a step. And I told him again, I said, I said, uh, I said, put down the weapons and get down on the ground. And he took another step and he did that. He did that three more times. And on the third command, to to put down the weapons to get down he uh he took a step and i started to pull it i had a our our service weapons we had a variety of them at the time not, not all the departments went to glocks or whatever nine or ten millimeter they they had opted for so you could carry a 38 or 357 whatever you want and i had a 357 magnum and uh i started to pull the trigger and it i in mid trigger pullets it there was something that it felt mechanical, but it, but it wasn't it. And I didn't know this at the time. I just, I started pulling the trigger. It wouldn't pull all the way. As I'm doing that, he looks at me and he throws the two sharps to his, to his sides as he's diving face first onto the macadam. And he's, he's out, he's laid out on the ground. So I, I run at him. I got, you know, I got him down at gunpoint and run at him. I put the gun down close to the side of his face and his ear. And I don't, I didn't know, if he had another weapon on him, I don't know what this guy has. All I know is that he's pissed off, you know, and he's at this guy's door. And I said, if you move, I said, I'm going to, I'm going to shoot you. And he, he didn't say a word to me. I, uh, I handcuffed him, got him up, put him in the patrol car. In the meantime, I could see the guy inside the room and he's looking out the window at me. So I went over, got his side of the story where he, he doesn't know anything. He just knows this guy's at his door. I don't know who he is. He, he's here. He's peaceful. He's at my door. I don't, I want him locked up. He's, you know, okay, fine. Give, give him the papers. He, he signs some, some, some complaint forms. I got to get this other guy back to the precinct to start booking him. And, uh, it, it, it was obvious that this guy in the room, he, he, you, you just know, you know, he's, he's selling something out of the room. It's not a secret to anybody. And so I get this other fellow back to the booking room and he's really not saying much to me. Um, and, uh, uh, I booked him. And so finally I'm going to get, get ready to put him into the cell. And I said, let me, let me just, let me just ask you, I mean, what was the deal? What, what was the problem with him? And he's like, look, he goes, he, that guy's been selling crack to my wife. He's, she's a crack addict. He's been selling her crack for a, a couple, a couple of weeks. He said, I, I try to get these guys to stop. He goes, I, 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 I ask them nicely. I ask them to stop selling it to her. I'm trying to get her help. He said, I went and I saw him. I asked him, he, he just, he shut the door on me. He said, I went back a few times and finally he just looked at me and he said, you know, he called me a, a racial epithet. He said, get your, 
behind out of here or else they're going to find you dead somewhere. And he said, that was, I just, he said, I got pissed, you know, he goes, I'm not going to, nobody's talking to me that way. He goes, that's not, that's not who I am. And then, and they're going to, if they're going to talk, they're going to find out basically. So he said, I went, I got my, my sword and my knife. And he goes, if you didn't get there when you did, he said, I would have got through the door. He said, I would have sliced it. He would have found him decapitated in that room. And so sometimes people make threats like that. You take it for what it's worth. You know, there are people that very well can do that. There's other people that they just say things like that. They want to, you know, they want to get a reaction or they just want to seem a little, you know, they want to, they want to puff their chest out. So uh, about three days later, we had, I think we had courts on Wednesdays at that time. And I was working a day shift and we had prisoner transport come down with the busload of people. And they all came into the courtroom chained up and he, he was talking to one of the court guys that was doing a court, uh, doing court detail. And he said, Hey, you know, Chris, he wants to talk to you. And I said, uh, I went over to him and I said, what's up? And he's like, uh, he said, I just wanted to ask you a question. I said, yeah, what's the matter? He said, um, why didn't you shoot me? And I said, what do you like that night? (laughs) He's like, yeah, he goes, why didn't you shoot me? He goes, you had, he said, you had all the right in the world to just to drop me right, right where I was standing. And I said, I'll tell you, honestly, I said, I, you, you would have, you would have been dead. I said, I, I was pulling the trigger. I said, when you didn't, when you didn't follow my command the fourth time, I said, I was pulling the trigger. I said, but I don't know, something happened, something happened to the gun. I said, it just, you were lucky, basically, you know, that's, that's about what it was. And he looked at me and he kind of like smiled at me and he smiled at me in a way that I, I didn't really kind of put it together till later on. And but he, it was like a sly smile. Like he knew something I did not know, you know? And, and I was like, oh, okay, whatever. So I, I left and court finished. They transported him back. Well, the next morning, one of the, uh, a, a Yonkers detective had come in and it's just to backtrack a second, you know, the, the, the fellow who I, I arrested and, and booked, his name was uh, Joseph Hyman. And he, uh, he lived in, um, he lived in the Bronx, but he had come up with some of the, I think his wife was on Section 8, or she got some kind of benefits. So he was up in that. That's why he was originally up in that area. So the Yonkers detective came in, and he, I was standing there, but he said, hey, is Damaray working? And I said, yeah, that's me. He goes, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? And I said, yeah, sure. So I walk over to him, and he's like, hey, can, uh, can you tell me what happened with Joseph uh, the other day? And I was like, yeah, what do you want to know? And he said, well, you know, just what happened? So I told him, and he kind of, like, smiled, and he's like, yeah, he goes, let me tell you, he goes, if anybody, he goes, I'm glad you didn't shoot him. He goes, and there's a lot of people that are glad you didn't shoot him. And uh, he said, he's from a Orthodox Jewish family in Brooklyn who they're very, they're very devout. And he said, he left Judaism a while, a long time ago. You don't want nothing to do with that anymore. He became the head of a satanic cult in, in the Bronx. And where Untermeyer Park is in Yonkers on the Hudson River, that's where the son of Sam used to hang out. Uh, there's a lot of cultists. There's a lot of uh, different types. There's there's a lot of different types of cults down there. But the satanic cults have always been big there. Well, apparently, they he he kind of he kind of backed off of it. He had started to get into a lot of trouble. I guess he wanted to turn his life around a little bit. So he started to help the different departments. They'd come they would come to him and ask him about that. Yonkers used them. Westchester County Police used them. Even the FBI and the state police used them. And he told me he said. He, he's helped stop some major stuff that was going to go down in that area. He's just, he's more valuable than, 
anybody will ever know. You know, people might look at him as a, you know, whatever their opinion of him is, but he's valuable. And he goes, and we're just glad you didn't shoot him. And I was like, ah, cool. And he, uh, he said to me, uh, he said, so you got like, he's like, looks at me. He goes, so you, you tell me that your gun, <laughs> your gun jammed. And I said, it, it wasn't, there was nothing wrong mechanically with my gun. I said, there was nothing wrong with my gun. There was nothing wrong with my trigger pull. There was, I said, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I said, uh, but he looked at me sitting there in that chair when he was in the, in the courtroom. I said, and, and I, I'm telling you, I had that feeling that he knew something that I didn't know. Like he knew that whatever he did, he was not going to get, I wouldn't have had the ability to shoot him. It was like he was being protected by something, you know, like, like yeah, he, like, knew he was invincible. Yes. Like the hand of whoever he was praying to came down and protected him. And this Yonkers cop looked at me and he was like, he said, you know, there are things that we, we didn't believe either. Like we, when we came into contact with this guy, he said, there were things that we didn't believe either. He goes, and he looked at me before he left and he goes, we believe it. We believe it now. He said, and I'm just, that's, that was his two cents, you know? So I just, it always sat with me after that. You know, I'm, I don't know much about paranormal. I don't know much about religion outside of what I know of, you know, the faith that I, I, I follow and, but I, uh, I don't know, you know, I, it, it just, it was too odd that all these things took place. He, he was there. I was going to shoot him. And he, when I went to go pull that trigger, that trigger wouldn't pull. And then later on to find out that he, uh, was the head of, he was a cult, the head of this cult, these cults. So he, they, he was, he was a satanic, he was involved in a satanic ritual. So I just thought I'd share it with you, you know, and, let people yeah, take is, it for what it is you know uh that's a it's kind of a it's you know like you said people take it how it is people believe that it was some kind of divine intervention or maybe satan intervening there but or just you know just he got lucky but <laughs> yeah the problem he is, it's just, certainly it's a weird did story. yeah yeah it was it was just uh you know it just happened so it happened so fa- the 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 duration of the incident it was so quick that if you put everything in succession, there should have been no, there should have been no pause in action in the whole thing. He didn't stop. He, he didn't follow my commands. I should have shot him. He should have fell. When it came to the part of pulling the trigger, something stopped that trigger pull. And like I said, it wasn't mechanical. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a malfunction of the weapon because I had fired the weapon plenty of times. It was clean. Um, and uh, it, whatever, whatever, whatever it was, you know, he, he seemed to think he knew something that I didn't know. <laughs> so I, well, the, the crazy story to me was the simple fact that you had another detective from another precinct come to you and say, yeah, we uh, had, we didn't believe this stuff. All of a sudden, you started to believe this guy because they must experience the same kind of thing. So, oh, yeah. The, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, you know, when he, when he came and he asked for me and then he told me that, I had no idea. I had no idea that, that this this guy was involved in any of that not none at all i mean it, but it wasn't until after he told me that that i thought to myself he that's just it i don't believe in coincidences too much but uh, you know who knows, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> well hey man, i really really appreciate you taking the time to come on and talking to us telling us that story because it did it sent chills up both of our spines ah uh, 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 it's my pleasure no, i i uh I, I, I haven't told it in years, like I said, and then I told my, my little one a couple, couple of weeks ago, and 
she just stood there and looked at me and was like, damn, dad. And, I, and, uh, and then I saw your, your message and I said, you know what, I'll just drop it to him. And, uh, and we, I think, you know, uh, I think I had emailed someone else a while back about some things, some weird events that, that had taken place, but none, none like this, you know, none, this was just, this was just very different than, than a lot of the other experiences I had. Uh, anyway, but I appreciate you inviting me on the, the show. Hey, we for we sure. appreciate it too. So yeah, Annie, what'd you think of that? What'd you think about actually hearing the story? Oh my God, that was absolutely insane. It's even crazier to hear him tell it because you hear how deeply things like that affect people when it happens to them. And it sounds like maybe that was kind of a, a, a turning point for him. Maybe it opened his eyes to something he maybe previously didn't believe in. I don't know. Maybe that's why he became an unbeliever. So yeah, I mean, that that is an incredible story. So grateful that you got to call in the show and tell us your story, Chris, because that was incredible. We love hearing from fans and listeners. So we are grateful for everyone who writes in. We love to tell your stories again, because, you know, that's how this lore is handed down by storytelling. So we're just good old storytellers here in the, the hills of West Virginia, Shay. If you guys could see right now what we're doing, Rory woke up from her nap. I'm holding her. I'm standing here uh, with my with my mic right here, talking into the mic with the pop screen. And she's just staring at her mom like she's I'm going staring to, at me like, so intently. Her head off. Like it's she's got this weird look. I don't know what her problem is. It's she's Easter. We're recording many... on Easter right now, and she didn't. But maybe that's why because she's watched didn't... too many serial killer. We didn't get her an Easter basket. Don't tell people that. We, You know what? Ordering things on Amazon is scary right now, and we can't go to the store. We'll make it up to you on the 4th of July, baby. I promise. We'll make it up to you. I swear we'll buy a car. You can have a pony. I don't care. (laughs) So, guys, you know, we know this is scary times. We know that everybody is ready to pull their hair out, but continue to stay safe, stay healthy, stay at home if all the orders are still intact where you are. You know, we we are all trying to do our part to get rid of this COVID-19. And, you know, I, it's scary times and, and we're scared to death being new parents. But it's, uh, you know, it's going to pass and things are going to get better. There's light at the end of the tunnel. Hang in there, guys. We love you so much. Keep writing to us. We love to hear from you. And uh, we'll see you on the flip side. Yeah, guys. Tune in next week. We'll have probably uh, another cool episode for you. Until next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Serial Spirits, the podcast. Find us weekly on all your podcasting platforms, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you subscribe. Our theme song was written and produced by Annie Weibel for Serial Spirits, the podcast. Check us out on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Serial Spirits. You can always find Serial Spirits on www.paranormalwarehouse.com. Check out all the amazing shows that Paranormal Warehouse has to offer. Also on Twitter at Serial Spirits. Guys, be aware and be safe. We'll see you next time. In that fair land which I go